bit about knowing our Redeemer will restore us, knowing that our Redeemer will restore us. Uh, Job being, uh, I think, one of the first books of the Bible that was written, it shows you the knowledge that Job had of the, of the resurrection and about a Redeemer. And I think that's what we need to get wisdom and knowledge from God, to have knowledge of this Redeemer that's talked about in the Old and the New Testament. And with that knowledge of the Redeemer comes wisdom and understanding that we ask of Him to give us through revelation knowledge and our faith in Him to establish us in every good work and to show us our purpose in life. For what reason are we here and what should we be doing? And just as the book of Job, we hear Job and his friends speaking with a whole lot of knowledge uh, of the world, of knowledge of the Bible and things going on at that time. Job and his friends having a knowledge of Scripture. And nowadays, that's what why we teach Bible study and the apostles was the ones that was given to teach the apostle doctrine and teach the word of God. Peter said that he was going to give himself to studying and to teaching the word of God. And he told Timothy to give his time to preaching, I mean to studying the word. If anything that we should be doing in our leisure time and any other time, is studying the Word of God and to prayer and getting carried away with the world and the things of the world. We don't know God's Word the way we should know God's Word. And we don't see the young or old going to God's Word, studying to show themselves approved, workers that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And in the end time church, that's going to be one of the characteristics of the description of the people of God is that they're going to be good Bereans and they're going to learn to follow God because he's going to write his laws upon their hearts. He's going to write and give them a concern for the word of God and establishing the things of God. And we see here when he's calling his people out of Babylon, he's talking to his people in this 48th chapter of Isaiah here. Uh, God reveals uh, the prophecies that he had given them, and he exhorts them again to obedience. And it's his people's deliverance out of Babylon is foretold again. But that deliverance is for a remnant of the people, and that's going to be a people that know that their Redeemer, as Job did, know that their Redeemer liveth, plus those that could come to God and ask him, ask him for wisdom and knowledge and understanding and in conducting their daily lives. There will be a regeneration. When Peter, we talk in the book, in the Bible, about regeneration. Well, it redeemed Christ Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. He regenerates man, born-again man. He as this process that he's involved in is a complete regeneration of man. It's a renewal of the inner man, a spiritual man that can serve God. With that regeneration, 
it's a quickening that's involved, a making alive. And we'll get stronger in the Lord and establish the laws of God and the things of God as we get to know Him more better and to know Him as our Redeemer. How many in this day and time could be as confident as Job was in the knowledge and the fact and and we we at the time of faith now, not just trust as it was in those days, trust and believe in God as Abraham did, but it's faith, a confident hope, and not just a hope that something will happen, but a hope that we know it's going to happen because he had showed it to us and he had told us in his word, and we have confidence in this. And we can have a confidence just as Job had in his Redeemer and that he would receive would see that Redeemer. Uh, is in the book of Job, the 19th chapter, in the 25th verse, it says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though the skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. He's making the Redeemer synonymous with God here. He says he know that in his flesh, that is as a man, that he would see God for himself, not another and no one else. He would see this God. Uh, what a glorious hope. How dare you go on persecuting me though as, I, as though I were proven the time that it was there. There I am, and now the Lord God and His Spirit had sent me. This is that Redeemer speaking in the 16th verse. I think I read it to you last time, the 16th verse of the 48th chapter of Isaiah, where that Redeemer speaks. And I told you that was, again, a manifestation of the Trinity, of the Godhead here, where it says, Come ye near unto me. Come ye and hear this. I have not spoken in secret from the beginning, from the time that it was, there am I. And now the Lord God and his spirit had sent me. This is the discussion of the Lord God, of the Father sending the Son. It says the Lord God and his spirit. What spirit? The Holy Spirit. It's the triune Godhead here had sent the Son, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that's speaking. He says, Thus saith the Lord. This is the Lord speaking. It says, Thus saith the Lord, thine Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord God, I am the Lord thy God, which teacheth thee to profit, which leadeth thee by the way that thou shouldest go. All that thou hadst hearkened to my commandments, I then had I, then had thine peace been as a river and thine righteousness as the waves of the sea because you would have come into a knowledge of God that would instruct you in the way and you would have kept his commandments for eternity of peace. That's why when we get to know Christ, when we know that Redeemer, when we come into that saving knowledge as Job was because we see here Job wasn't disturbed by the circumstances and the situations and the things that was going on around him. It's just that he was a little bit less understanding than 
we could or would be today is he wasn't privy to some of the information that we knew that God was doing in Job's life at that time, but now we are. And just as Job knew his Redeemer lived by faith, we know that Redeemer has came and had bought us back, had shed his blood for us, and had put us in right standing with God. What does a Redeemer do? A Redeemer redeems. He bought us back from bondage. He bought us back from loss. He bought us back from bondage to Satan and to sin for the things of this world. He reconciled. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And remember I told you with forgiveness and, and cleansing of sin, it needs to be a reconciliation where the two parties on a communicating level in which there begins to be fellowship between the two. Because how can we walk together with him unless we're in agreement with him? So we're turning or we're repenting from our way. The book of Exodus, the 12th chapter, the 12th through 13th verse says, For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token unto the houses where ye are in. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I shall smite the land of Egypt. Now here, the blood was assigned to the deaf angel to pass over the homes of the Israelites that were, that were in Egypt when he went through Egypt. Because of it, Israel's firstborns were saved while Egypt's firstborns died. And we'll come back to that another time of what just happened in Egypt and the recompense on, that God did pay back to where Egypt still would be have those that would be redeemed. But this redemption that we're talking about, about this Redeemer, he had went into Egypt to bring out a people, to put his stamp upon a people. Just like going into Babylon, this Redeemer, uh, we could call him a kinsman Goel. You remember we studied that the Goel in the book of Ruth, Boaz was the kinsman uh, Redeemer, and that Ruth asked to be redeemed. Ruth asked and the Redeemer took all of the necessary actions. But we see here where through prayer and supplication, we're asking God. We really hadn't chosen Him. He had chosen us, but we see a reciprocal actions going on here where we plead and cry unto God, unto Jesus Christ, to the Father in Jesus' name, because we know He's our Redeemer, and that He had put us in right position and right standing with God and had made it available to where we can ask the Father anything in the Son's name, in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and that the Father would will do because of the actions of the Redeemer. The Redeemer is in a process of saving him a people. He's in the process of molding him a people. So what's going on in each and every one of our everyday lives, 
be it to us according to our faith. As we have faith to believe, and believing in this regime, Redeemer, which is Jesus Christ, the object of our faith, we trust and believe in Him that He's accomplishing a work in us. And with fear and trembling, we're working out our salvation, taking heed unto His Word, but in our lives, and, and like I said, I can't explain God to you to the point where you would have me as a, a mediator or go in between between you and God. Jesus Christ is that mediator between man and God. He's the one that's reconciling us to God. So we have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and he's going to show us the Father. He's going to show us the Father through revelation, knowledge, and He's going to show us the mysteries of God. And we cry unto Him. He's our advocate with the Father. So we're looking unto Jesus. That's why our focus is. I don't want to get in your way from seeing Jesus. I stand up and point to the cross, and there He died upon the cross and shed His blood for us. And in the preaching of the gospel, which it comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that hearing it comes by faith and that you realize and know that God gives you that confidence in your heart that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb by his shed blood that's how, that's how your redemption came forth the yearly ritual of Passover represents the death of Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh. So he came and he died for us. We believe that Jesus Christ was this God-man, was this one that came, and he's responsible for putting us back in right standing with God, that he redeemed us, that we were lost. And that's one qualification for being redeemed and for being found and, and for finding the Savior is that we have to come to a saving knowledge that we are lost and in need of a redeemer. When we start seeing our lostness, and it's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, that we're in need of a Savior, we see who that Savior is, and that Savior does come unto us and show himself to us and reveals himself unto us. That's why Job said he know his Redeemer liveth, and that he would see him for himself. And we keep constantly straining to get a vision or get a sight of Jesus Christ. Now the innocent lamb had to be without blemish because it represented the only man who ever lived a perfect sinless life. So from the foundations of the world, we know that this was the sacrificial lamb that God had prepared prepared to redeem us. That it required a death. It required a, a, a sacrificial death. We couldn't just die from natural causes or whatever. It had to have been a death offered up as a substitutionary death in our place. And it was Jesus Christ who was able to be our kinsman redeemer. In other words, he had to be related to us by blood. And he came, he was born of a woman. So he was made like unto us. So he was our near kinsman redeemer that had the 
ability to redeem us. You must have the ability to redeem someone. And you'll study that on the redemption. We've talked about that before, so I'm not going that far down that road. Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who gave his life and shed his blood so that we may be saved from eternal death by paying the penalty for our sins. He had the ability with his precious blood that he was able to pay for our sins to redeem us, to buy us back. We were sold into sin. We were sold into bondage. We all had the death penalty on us, and we were all appointed to die. Now, through faith in his sacrifice, we receive forgiveness of sin and come into a right relationship with God. As I told you, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. So he puts us in a right relationship with him by what? Following his word, taking up our cross, denying ourselves, suffering. That Redeemer promises, he says, Oh, that thou wouldest uh, hearken to my commandments, and had, then had my peace been as a river, and thine righteousness as the waves of the sea. So we start being obedient unto our Redeemer who's placing us back in right standing with God, who gives us peace that exceeded all understanding. And when our ways please the Lord, he causes even our enemies to be at peace with us. So we have extreme peace, and things begin going our way, and we're in a relationship with God because it's our sin and our iniquity which had separated us from God so that we no longer continue in sin now that we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb and sanctified and set apart we can develop this relationship with God through Jesus Christ because his life was worth more than all human life combined his sacrifice, his sacrifice paid the price for all sin, for everyone's sin. That's the reason the Father had forsaken him on the cross because our sins were laid upon him and he paid that cost of being separated from the Father that he died for us. That he died for us. He redeemed us from the penalty that the breaking of the law of God imposes and freed us to live righteously. Now we're he loosed the bonds of sin. His word had set us free. And then he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So we keep being loose from the bondage of sin through our obedience to the word. And that's why it says he leads us down the paths of righteousness for righteousness sake. Because we're being made and shaped in his image and his, in his righteousness. Now, if he's the redeemer, that means we are the redeemed. And it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So this is something that we glory in, we give the hallelujah, and we give the praise, and we rejoice and forevermore in this. Therefore, we call him our Savior and Redeemer. We call him our Savior and Redeemer. Once we accept him as our Savior, because he was sinless and he died for us, his blood covers all our sin. 
It was a perpetuation for our sin. His blood had atoned for us. His blood that covered all of these things, the blood of Jesus Christ. Remember, we were talking about the Passover lamb, that when he sees the blood, he'll pass over us. That blood is applied to our lives, and we remember that on communion day, and we talk about the blood that was shed for us for the remission of our sins. Not the blood of bulls and goats or whatever that couldn't take away the sin of the world, but it's the precious love of this sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, that took away. He redeems us from the second death and from the death angel. Hosea uh, 1, 11 and 1 says, Out of Egypt I called my son, and he was born of a woman. And for a short while after Jesus is born, God warns Joseph in a dream to leave immediately for Egypt to escape persecution from Herod the Great in Matthew 2nd chapter in the 13th verse. Once Herod dies, Joseph and Mary and Jesus return to Judea. Uh, that would be in Matthew the 15th verse, 19th through the 21st verse, fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea that he called his son out of Egypt. He came back, he says, it's safe to bring the child back, and that's when Jesus' parents returned to Bethlehem, and there was a numbering. But we see all this according to God's word, because early in this 48th chapter, he talks about prophecy and the words that he said. And we've been studying God's word and his promises and his prophecies, and see that they've all come true according to the word of God, plus the new sayings, he's doing a new thing also, in the re- at those we get the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's no longer shut up to us, but it's being revealed unto us by his Son, through his Spirit, that Holy Spirit that's going to guide us and lead us into all truth this wisdom that we get from God. So the more we walk in the Lord, years back, we're much stronger than we were years ago because we've come to know much more about the Lord and of the Lord. Just like Job, he was a perfect and upright and blameless man, but after the trials and the tribulation and all God had put him through, he says he had heard about him with the hearing of the ear, but now he knew him much better. Each day and all the things we live should serve to bring us to intimate and a closer knowledge of God, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's being made perfect through suffering. It says he learned obedience through the things he suffered. And there's a lot of suffering we've all been through and he says that Babylon was that furnace of affliction for us. And he, he brought us through the furnace of affliction. And we keep our eyes on him because he is our redeemer. And he's bringing us through the fire. He's not as civil, but as a precious commodity of his, as a pearl of great price. He's allowing the things to come into our lives because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. 
And he's instilling his character, his image, and his likeness in us. So with that redeemer comes a restoration of the uprightness of mankind. See, because we all was a, went astray and we were all afflicted. But now he's bringing us back in uprightness and he's restoring us as at the beginning. He's going to give us back our counselors. He's going to give us good and right laws to follow. He's going to write his commandments on our hearts. He's going to restore that our peace would continually flow and it will be ever so long. Peace, peace, peace a restored mankind and he will be fruitful and multiply and he's going to multiply the seed on us. They will return and rebuild the ruin and the destroyed tabernacles of David. That's what I say. We'll see the church being rebuilt. Those that don't come up to offer unto the Lord and that don't come up to learn of the Lord, they'll suffer and they won't grow in the Lord and that's what we're doing. We're growing and learning of him. And all of us come unto the house of the Lord and learn of the Lord. That's why I say through his teaching and preaching, we're learning and getting ever closer unto him. This recalls God's redemption of Israel from bondage, suggesting that the latter work of Jesus as redeemer of all mankind, he was given as a light unto the Gentiles, not just the work that he did in Israel uh, during the time of Judah and in the Old Testament, but as a light on the Gentiles, he gave us Cyrus. We read about Cyrus in the in that eighteenth in that forty eighth chapter, the eighteenth verses uh, says, uh, "Thine seed also has been as the sand of the offspring of thine bowels, like the gravel thereof. His name should." not have been cut off, neither been destroyed before me. Uh, Mine hand also had laid the foundation, verse uh, 13, and of the earth, and my right hand had spanned the heavens. When I call unto them, they stand up together. All ye assemble yourselves and hear, which among them had declared these things. The Lord had loved him, he will do his pleasure, O Babylon, and his arms shall be on the Chaldeans. I even I have spoken, yea, I have called him, I have brought him, and he shall make his way prosperous. This is him talking about Cyrus being made prosperous because he's going to allow all of those that released to be released from captivity that's in Babylon to go back and build the temple of the God of God. This is a restoration to the redeemed of the Lord. Anybody that wants to go to whosoever will, he's making this available as a light. This is a Gentile king, Cyrus doing this. This is a type of Christ here. This is looking at the millennial reign, the time of Christ when we start building the temple of God. Building the church according to God's word, a restoration of all things. Elijah talks about a restoration of all things, turning relationships of the father's hearts back to the sons and the sons to the father. A time of worldwide peace and prosperity to all that worship and follow the Lord, to all of the redeemed. Paul encourages Titus by saying that Christ gave himself for us 
that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, Titus 2 and 14. And so those that take heed unto his word, he's giving us the power to become sons of God. Those that name the name of Christ, we should depart from iniquity and walk in the way and God's go shape and form us. We are type of fresh fruits. Those that redeem of the Lord, we are fresh fruits of this harvest. And he's getting us ready to be kings and queens, rulers with him. That's going to rule and reign with him in this millennial reign. A royal priesthood. Or royal priesthood. But like I said, the word of God has to be written upon our hearts. So we must be followers of his word. Line upon line, precept upon precept. We must meditate in his word day and night. So the world is decreasing to us and we are increasing in the Lord because like I said, we're studying more and meditating more and coming out of the world, leaving Babylon coming to what Christ had purposed us for, and that is the first fruits of royal priesthood unto him. He's going to be greater and greater in our lives. Uh, Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. The Redeemer comes back. This merchant comes back and finds this pearl of great price. And he paid such a measure unimmeasurable price for it he paid his with it with his life this precious pearl of the church with this gem that Christ has purchased and given his life for he given his life for us he came to seek and save those of us that were lost he is our redeemer he's our kinsman redeemer there's none closer than him he's by blood he's close to us He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There's a reason he had chosen us and that that we should be fruitful, that we should be first fruits, and that if that kernel of wheat is to produce, it must die. It must lose its life. We lose our life to save our life. We grow and we're able to abide in him. If we abide in the vine and allow his word to abide in us, we'll be fruitful. (coughs) To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out, John 10 and 3. So this shepherd that came to seek and save those that were lost, to buy back those that were lost, to redeem those. This is our great shepherd of the sheep, Jesus Christ. Only Christ can do this, just like the Goel was the one that had the ability to do it, he wanted to do it, and he would do it. This, All of the qualifications was there, and this is something only Christ can do. Isaiah 43 and 1 says, But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name, and you are mine. So he calls out his sheep, 
and there be many are called, but only a few chosen. But he knows each and every one of his sheep. He even says he has sheep of another fold that he must bring with him. But all of these sheep are those that were once was lost. We have to realize that we were lost before we could get saved. And we once was lost, but now we're saved. The great shepherd of the sheep had searched for all the sheep that had been scattered throughout the world. And many shepherds or false shepherds that came along and scattered his sheep. Christ is the wisdom of God unto salvation because redemption is speaking of salvation. It's deliverance by the Lord. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 20th through 31st verse says, So what about these wise men, these scholars, these brilliant debaters of this world, of this world's great affairs? God has made them all look foolish and show their wisdom to be useless nonsense. For God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find God through human brilliance. And then he stepped in and saved all those who believe his message, which the world calls foolishness and silly. Those that believe the preaching of the cross. Those that preach, that believe the crucifixion, those that believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It seems foolishness to the Jews because they want a sign from heaven as proof that what is preached is true. And it is foolishness to the Gentiles because they believe only what agrees with their philosophy and seems wise to them. So when we preach about Christ dying to save them, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. They don't want a crucified Messiah. And the world says this is foolishness and it's lack of wisdom. But God has opened the eyes of those called to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, to see that Christ is the mighty power of God to save them. Christ himself is the center of God's wise plan for their salvation. This so-called foolish plan of God's is, so, is far wiser than the wisest plan of the wisest man. And God in his weakness, Christ dying on the cross, is far stronger than any man. Him dying the death on that cross. The power of God is in the gospel. That's the power of God. It's unto salvation. The preaching of the gospel is unto salvation. And it takes faith to believe that gospel. Faith, it takes faith. Hearing of the word of God preached takes faith. Notice among yourself, dear brothers, that few of you who followed Christ have big names of power or wealth. Instead, God has deliberately chosen to use the ideas of the world considers foolish and of little worth in order to shame those people considered by the world as wise and great. So a lot of people that say derogatory things to us and, and talk about you and talk about the different things, but we choose to believe Jesus Christ and his gospel message, and it's not quite lining up with them, that's because he hadn't revealed that unto them. He had revealed it unto faith. He had revealed it unto the lowly. 
not to the wise, not to the master debater, and not to those of the world. So being an outsider to the world has its advantages in Jesus Christ that we're not part of the world and don't love the world and don't think like the world. Because our Redeemer had placed something in us and had given and made it affected to us. That's why it's an effectual call. It's by the hearing of faith that we hear that voice calling us. That God places us where we will hear the gospel, receive the gospel, and grow thereby, and come unto him and come out of the world. He had chosen a plan despised by the world, counted as nothing at all, and it used it to bring down to nothing those the world considers great, so that no one anywhere can ever brag in the presence of God. For it is from God alone that you have your life through Jesus Christ. He showed us God's plan of salvation, and he was the one who made us acceptable to God. He made us pure and holy and gave himself to purchase our salvation. He gave of his life's blood. He gave of himself. He redeemed us. He bought us back. Not the rest of the world, but those that he had chosen, those that he had designed this for. As it says, the scripture says, If anyone is going to boast, let him boast only in what the Lord has done for him. And this was a rendering by the living Bible that I read this. Christ glorified the Father by successfully completing the work the Father had given him to do. And you remember on the cross he says, Tetelestai, in other words, it is finished. He had completed the work. As the Redeemer, as the author and the finisher of our faith, he had accomplished the purpose God had sent him to, to, to accomplish. He qualified to be our Savior, Redeemer, and High Priest along the way. He preached the gospel to others, and that's what I tell you. It's not only the death of Jesus Christ, but it's the life that he lived and what he did, did during that life. And that's why I say it's important the life that you live. It's, a, it's important the way you live life and the things that you do. And he changes you. We die to self. When we hear the gospel, it creates a change in us. And remember I told you that regeneration, that transformation, that same mind that was in Christ Jesus, it brings a humility over you, as you read in the opening scripture this weekend. Second uh, Chronicles 7 and 14 says, If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves and pray. There's a humility that comes into the child of God and a gratefulness that we grateful for what he's done, that he had saved us and that he had, was gracious and merciful to us and save us. Our responsibility is to yield to him, allowing him to form us into his image by growing, overcoming, and producing fruit and carrying out the works of the church as he assigns them. He's going to tell us and he's going to lead us and guide us into all truth by his spirit. That's why we must read the word and study the word and be doers of the word of God. See, redemption is a process. This redemption is a process. Ephesians 1, 6-7 says, To the praise of his glorious grace and favor, 
which he so freely bestowed on us in the beloved that is in his son Jesus Christ in him we have redemption in who? in Christ we have redemption that is our deliverance and salvation is in Christ it's all in Christ everything is in Christ our redemption and salvation is in him that's why he's the focus of our faith that's why we keep our eyes on him the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ bodily. <clears throat> in Him we have redemption through His blood, through that blood of Jesus Christ. That paid, oh, let's see, let me finish that. It says, In Him we have the re redemption, that is, our deliverance and salvation through His blood which paid the penalty for our sins and resulting in the forgiveness and complete pardon of our sin in accordance with the riches of his grace. So his blood, that blood paid the penalty for our sins. Remember I say somebody had to die a death and it had to be a sinless sacrifice. We couldn't just die a natural death and we couldn't die our own death somebody else that was a perfect sacrifice that was sinless, that had sinless blood, that was able to do that. And Christ was the only one that lived a perfect life. You remember I said it's in the way he lived. He lived a perfect life so he could be that substitutionary death. He could die that substitutionary death that his blood could pay for the penalty for our sin. That's why we drink of the blood and eat of the broken body of Jesus Christ because that was shed for us for the remission of our sins. <clears throat> Redemption implies the payment of a ransom. We were all held hostage. Death was held over us. We were afraid of dying and afraid of the grave and all. But now we no longer fear dying. We no longer fear death because why? He redeemed us. He bought us back. He's given us eternal life. We have eternal life in Him. We no longer fear death. We no longer fear the grave. We no longer fear anything because our redemption is in Christ Jesus. He redeemed us from the death penalty. We have been redeemed or bought back. Through His blood reminds us that making the new covenant cost Him His life. And I talk about that new covenant that was ratified in his blood. I talk about Jeremiah, the 32nd chapter, and through the 34th and the 36th chapter, about this new covenant. Hebrews talk about this new covenant that was ratified through his blood, through him shedding his blood for us. He was the sacrificial lamb. 1 Corinthians 11.25 says, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant that is this ratified and established the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. That blood that was shed is just like that Passover lamb. You remember I started with the Passover lamb that died on that night. And you applied the blood to the doorposts and the lentils, which was symbolic of this New Testament ratification in his blood. But it could, because it couldn't have been the blood of lambs and goats and everything, it was his blood that he shed for us. 
that was the ratification of this New Testament. Forgiveness here suggests to be loosened from bondage. And that's why I tell you about Peter had the keys to binding and loosening. We're set free from the bondage of sin. He had loosed us. And I was telling you about the bondage of the wheel by Martin Luther. We were in bondage. We were in slavery. We were in Egypt. And you remember I say he brought us out of Egypt. He freed us. We, he freed us from sin. He brought us out of Babylon. That's why it says, come ye out of Babylon. So we don't have to allow sin to rule and reign over us. That's why I say we have to be overcomers. This redemption that's in Christ Jesus, through his word, he teaches us to be overcomers in him. We need to be overcomers. That's why he had died for us and did this, that we would be a type of first fruits that he preaches and teaches consistent in the book of Revelation, he who overcomes. We have to overcome sin. We have to put to death sin. We have to die daily. We have to be victorious in this. This this, this isn't something that's just passive. Passivity, uh, uh, being passive, it says the violent taking it by force. This is something that we have to do be doers of God's word to put sin to death, to overcome. The Greek word picture is of someone who is tied up by cords or rope. In the book, book of Proverbs, we pray, it says, we loosen the cords of sin that so easily binds us. We ask him and pray that God would loose the cords of sin that so easily binds us. Because the devil has no authority over you but that which you give him because Jesus by his stripes we were healed and he had given us the victory and that's what he want our manifestation of the sons of God should show a victorious people, a people that's walking and having the victory over sin and that's why I say the church is, be, is at a pitiful state some people within the church and some within the state in, in the church they're not walking in the victory way it is says it is finished. All you have to do is walk therein. We have to have this millennial reign where we rule it in Christ and sin no longer has a rule over us. It has no hold on us. Have we as Christians been loosened from a political entity as the Israelites was redeemed from Egypt? Are we still slaves to political parties? The Republican Party, Democrats, the Socialists, whoever it may be. Are we enjoying the liberty that is in Christ Jesus that he had set us free and we serve no man we no longer serve sin sin has no power over us we're not any longer the service of sin we're service of righteousness for righteousness sake and he whom you yield your members to servants ye are whom you obey so we shouldn't be walking in obedience to the things of sin were we in bondage to other another human being? No. Have we been been freed from sin? Yes. That is what held us in bondage was that sin held us in bondage. The word translated sins is paratoma, which indicates deviations from the right path. We had deviated from the right path, but now we walk in paths of righteousness. I said that twenty third psalm he says he restoreth 
my soul, causing me to walk in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So we have to walk in those paths of righteousness. He makes straight paths for us. Straight and narrow is the way. We have to walk in this straight way. We've been held in bondage by our deviations from the right path, but now we have been loosed or freed from the bondage according to his grace. Hebrews 12 and 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we must look away from everything that's distracting us, and for the joy that's set before us, we should walk therein. He's our pattern. We should do just as he did. We should walk as he walked, walk in the light as he is in the light. We've been freed from this. According to Ephesians, we once walked in darkness when we were children of the dark. But now that we're children of the light, we must walk in the light as he's in the light. Keep our eyes on Jesus, our leader and instructor. He's willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he would have afterwards. So are you willing to live today with people saying things about you or mocking you or saying everything because of the joy that you know that will be revealed in the end? Look at the latter end of Job. His friends talked about him and said all manner of wickedness about him. He lost his children. He lost everything he had. But he didn't curse God. He held to God and had that conviction. And we must know that our Redeemer lived, and we must walk according to the principles of life and curse not God that we not die. We must be doers of his word, and we know that we'll stand before that Redeemer one day. There's a mediator between God and man, and we know Christ is that mediator. And he's the author and the finisher of our faith. And he had birthed us. He's our redeemer. And we know he had put us on the path of righteousness. And he's protecting us. And he tells us to cry unto him. With prayer and supplications, let our requests be known to him. So that's where our focus is, is, is on our redeemer because he's going to restore us. He's going to reconcile us into God. He's going to regenerate us. That is, quicken us and make us alive. And that in this life and in the life to come, eternal life, our Savior was joyful that he could do this for us and that he could buy, redeem us to be his purchased possession. And we shouldn't look at this in a way that's lackluster. This is some joy that we should have that this should give us strength and hope to accomplish that which we should be doing in him. Now it was a cruciating thing to die that death on the cross and Christ as our Passover it wasn't joyful to him but it was a necessary thing that he had to do. He didn't lay he laid down his life willingly and he did it for the joy that would be revealed. So we see the end. We know what the end would be like. So we must endure. We must hold up under trial and tribulation. As the Hebrew boys, when placed in the fire, they did not deny the Lord, even though they said 
that though that that fire he may not bring them through the fire, they still wasn't go bow down to the world. We must not be partakers of the world or the things of the world because our Redeemer liveth and he ever lives to make intercession for us. And that he's bringing us through and he's going to restore our son, our soul and we have to be patient and wait upon him. First Peter 18-21 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him who believe in God, that raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. So we've been redeemed from our corruptible conversation, the life we used to live. And that's why we have to study to realize what we can no longer do since our body is no longer our body and that he had bought us with a price, that we belong to him. And it's certain things we have to do as children of God. Certain ways we have to live. It's certain things that cannot come out of the man. He says that which comes out of a man defiles a man. So we can't speak and say any kind of thing and do anything. There's a character that should be being built in us that's in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Jesus lay dead and buried three days and three nights. Uh, His resurrection is the foundation of our faith. And his glorification is God's pledge to us that there is hope for our future. So he enjoyed the glory that he had with the Father. He was restored, he says, to give him back the glory for which he had with the Father in the beginning. And we've seen that all power and all glory was given unto him. He sits at the right hand of the Father in that exalted position of authority. First Peter emphasizes that he indeed was foreordained before the foundations of the world to be a sacrifice. That is not merely foresight, but that is planning. God's plan included redemption from the very beginning. Before Adam even fell, he had designed this redemption to buy us back. He foresaw sin, but it's not just foreseeing sin. Is planning that redemption. He was slain from the foundations of the world. This had already happened and he turned into pass that this was a done deal. This was the way he was going to do it. It wasn't a plan B. It wasn't something thought of at the last minute. Verse 19 stresses the value of his sacrifice by using the word precious. Translated honor three times in chapter 2 and 3. Uh, we are to access the value of his sacrifice to us personally. What would you be willing to pay for for his sacrifice? And we know that there's nothing we can pay. This is a, something that's freely given, that's freely done, because it's not nothing, you know, what can you have, what can you pay for that sacrifice? And if he made it available on most bases, then it wouldn't be fair you know, 
we would we couldn't look at it in that way. The Christian lives his life knowing the redemption Christ had accomplished, and that's why I say we know our Redeemer lives, and we know what was accomplished by that redemption by knowing and studying his word and trusting in the word. That's what we have faith is in his word. That's a most sure word of faith. That's the word of God. So we have faith in what he has said and in his word. Uh, the price of our redemption is the value we place on the life given for given for our forgiveness. Our former lives were aimless because of the value we placed on possessions and on our own satisfaction. So as we see this redemption process played out, we see our lives as being aimless and having no direction, but that when he came into our lives as a redeemer, he gave us a hope, he gave us something to live for, he gave us something to die for, he gave us eternal life. And when Jesus, Luke 21st chapter and the 28th verse says, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. That's the beginning of the Olivet prophecy. In other words, when these things that's happening in these end times, when the trial and tribulations and the persecutions and things come, this process of redemption is going on ahead as planned. And we know that that Redeemer lives. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and he's not complete with us yet. He's not through with us yet. And that gives us a hope, and the hope is in him. And he says, and when these things come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth now. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, is the earnest of that inheritance. That's just a down payment as to what's to come. He's going to fully redeem the purchased possession. For right now, we're just walking in some of it. We hadn't seen all that God had laid out for those that love him and follow him and walk in him. It's going to be such a grandiose time. So we are being redeemed. We're not completely redeemed, but we know by his word that it is a finished process, but we still have to go through that process. Heavenly Fathers, we come before you this afternoon, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to know our Redeemer, Lord God, and know of those things of our inheritance as the redeemed, Lord God, as his purchased possession. And in Jesus' name we pray, Lord God.